The Wellness Hub by Karen Kelly. So my guest today is model mindset mentor, Tina Lynn. So welcome, Tina, to the show. Hi, Karen. Thanks for having me. This has been something that's way overdue, hasn't it? We've bumped into each other quite a few times. And finally, we're sitting down to record and listen all about your world. So first of all, you're a model and model mindset mentor. So tell us about your modeling, because you are also Miss British Isles. That's fantastic. What an achievement. Yeah, I I was a model when I was about 20. And unfortunately, due to the relationship I was in at the time, it all ended. Right. And I always thought I was too old to try again until I was 47 and just applied, saw an advert for a, a modeling job for a local Chester designer, gave my name in, thought, well, you know, nothing ventured, nothing gained, never heard anything for six months and got the job. Wow. And I ended up modeling for Matthew O'Brien a few times. So when I saw um, a advert on, uh, for, on a, it's like a model platform where you put your profile on for classic Miss British Styles, I thought, you know what why not so I entered and I never one minute thought I'd get anywhere the next minute was obviously lockdown happened restrictions so nothing was face to face it was all done online originally and I got told that I had been given the title of classic Miss Cheshire so I'd got to the right through to the finals that's absolutely astounding could not believe it um, and then it was meant to be in April, then it was pushed back to July, then it was August, then it was September. So it finally happened last September. So at age 49, I competed against 49 other women and I only went and won. That's amazing. And, you know, I didn't realise that you were Miss British Isles recently. I thought that was something you did in your 20s and then you've recently returned to modelling. <clears throat> Excuse me. And that, that's incredible. Oh, my goodness. So what's involved and, you know, what do you do so, for Miss British Isles? Classic Miss British Isles means you have to be over 45 to enter. There's different categories. There's a junior, there's a teen, there's Miss, there's elegant and there's classic. So I won the classic category. Of course. Uh, I think the eldest lady was about 65 who entered. So it's a fantastic really? competition which just proves that you're never too old. And that's why I loved it. It was a complete range of diverse women. Um, some had never modeled before. Some had just were doing it to try and push themselves out of their comfort zone. Um, I think Miss, my, the two runners up, Miss York and Miss Liverpool. Miss Liverpool has never done it before. And Miss York had done some modeling before. So, you know, it literally was an array mix, of women. wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. So the competition, you had um, a photo shoot. And they judged you on how photographic you were, how photogenic you were, how you posed, how comfortable you were behind the camera. And that was one part of the scoring, which the judges on the day would go through all the pictures online. So it was a long wait for that. And then you did two catwalks, one in elegant evening wear and one in what they call like a cocktail dress or something. And the other one was um, in your like a Saturday night dress and the other one was an evening dress. So it wasn't I, underwear. <laughs> no underwear. No, no, no underwear. No, there's no underwear in any of them. There's um, the, the only one that there is, there's a Miss Swimwear competition that's obviously swimwear, but everything else is all elegant. 
so it's not it's not like the old days <laughs> and also the fact that you're all mature ladies I love the fact that they're they're not asking you to do that no and it is it's very much a competition and not a pageant yes and the, the organizers are very keen on making sure that that was clear and your prize with the prizes was a modeling um, contract as classic miss british isles so you'll you're contracted for a year to them um to do so many jobs throughout the year you get so many photo um photo shoots as complimentary as your prize you have to do a couple as part of them so you end up with about eight photo shoots a year wow, so that alone lovely. and how enjoyable know, are they i love photos i love photo shoots. a million dollars get your hair done and your makeup done and put something nice on <laughs> so it's fantastic so yeah that's what it entails brilliant and so what kind of work have you had then since so um one of the first things, one of the first jobs that your contractors to do is actually go and do the winner's shoot, which they then use for promotion. So it's actually all work that I enjoy. Yeah, it's not work at all, is it? It's really? not been work at all now. Um, and I was um, there as Classic Miss British Styles to the other um, competitions, Miss Teen and everything's kind of as a representative where my crown and my sash. Um, and another exactly. another role that I am contracted to do is hand the crown over at the end of the year to the next class of Miss British Isles. So, so far, all the jobs have been things I absolutely love. Absolutely love, yeah. So the <laughs> British Isles, it's Channel Islands, Isle of Man, Island, Outer Hebrides. I'm not sure what other areas. You get to go to those places. We haven't, no. They did look at going over to Ireland, um, yeah. <clears throat> but it, it just... With everything going on yeah, and COVID, travel, and COVID and everything, it's just too difficult. What they are wanting to do is take us all to London to do a shoot in London and have a selfie. It's like a selfie influencer training course as well. So that's one of the prizes. So they want to take all the winners to do that. And how does it differ being a model and a chore model in later life compared to that in your 20s? The kind of work you get is different. So it's more lifestyle rather than the editorial. It's not your high fashion Vogue covers. I mean, you do get mature women that do that. There's a couple of quite famous ones. I think there's one who's about 101 who still models, who I follow on Instagram. I love that. I love she's that. She's been used in, I've seen her in Vogue. She's just so flamboyant and outrageous. She's amazing. Um, but it's more like lifestyle shoots. So I've done a shoot where I was um, a security guard. In the uniform. Dressed in high vis. Um, <laughs> pretending to take someone's bag. <laughs> you see, I'm picturing a sexy uniform but no it's a high vis <laughs> that's the difference between 20s and a mature model I yeah guess. and then another one where I was sat at a desk um on a phone on a laptop just pretending to be working then I've done a lingerie shoot um for a, a, a lingerie design someone who makes lingerie by hand I've done a jewelry shoot so it's, it's different kinds of stuff really yeah and if anybody's anybody that's listening maybe wants to break into the modeling world, does it pay well? Not that I'm asking you how much you're getting paid, but does it pay quite well still like it used to? It probably pays similar to what it used to. Yeah. Um, and obviously, the more well-known you are, the more yeah, the you're going to get gonna paid. Get. Yeah, definitely. So... It's fantastic. So congratulations once again on Miss British Isles. But it wasn't always like this for you, was it? So go back to when you were modelling your 20s. Things kind of turned around quite to the, for the negative, really, didn't they? And you you suffered with anorexia. Uh, so tell us how that happened. And, and for our listeners who may be not quite sure, what really is anorexia? So my anorexia probably first started to show its ugly head when I was about 14. 
I was a really, really shy, introverted kid. I was skinny. I had no curves. I was a late developer. I had literally zero confidence. I used to try and blend in. Um, my mum was often on a diet. She'd been a larger lady and then she'd lost all the weight and she was always on Weight Watchers or Slimming World or something. She was that always would have rubbed off anyway, wouldn't it? It yeah. does rub off. You do you do absorb what you see. Yeah. And all, you know, lots of girls in school were on a diet. And I wasn't, po- I wasn't a popular girl. No one asked me out on a date. So I thought, well, maybe if I diet and lose some weight, I might, you know, get asked out. And you were already and also, very slim, weren't you? You were saying, gosh. I was only seven and a half stone anyway, oh. so I certainly didn't need to lose any weight. No. So that kind of was the beginning. And then also, it, my dad was quite strict at home. So he didn't have a job for a few years. Unfortunately, we came back from South Africa when I was 12 and he was considered too old and struggled to get a job for several years. Then got a job and was made redundant, got a job and was made redundant. So money was a bit tight. Yeah. So food was very much a privilege. Um, and I remember being told if I asked for something, a sandwich before um, dinner, no, you can't, don't be greedy. Or if I asked for a sandwich after dinner, no, you can't, don't be greedy. So there's lots and lots of different the things that is there, yeah. So I food became a bad thing, yeah. And I learned how to steal biscuits, for example, if I was hungry. So it's all those kind of things. Maybe have a really bad relationship with food. So did you eat three good meals a day, though? Even though you were money was tight and you were having meals, what kind of meals were you having in the end? I did until I started controlling my food so anorexia is often it's a mental health problem where if you feel for me I didn't feel in control of my life and this also when it triggered again in my 20s it's because I had no control of my life so the only thing I could control was how much I ate or didn't eat so I'd say oh mom I'm not hungry in the mornings I'm never hungry for breakfast so I wouldn't eat breakfast then I'd tell her I'd have a school dinner and I'd eat an apple all day and then I say, Mom, I had, I had seconds at school dinners, so please don't give me a big tea. So I was probably living on 500 calories a day. And weren't you hungry? Or do you kind of get past that if you're You get past it. You learn to just ignore that feeling almost. It's, Is that a good feeling? For it's almost a good feeling. Yeah. It's like I've, I've controlled it. I've got over that. I, I, I won against that feeling. So when you talk about all those points... Uh, there's plenty of triggers there isn't there you can't believe it really just as simple as not being able to afford snacks and and uh, eating in between meals because this wasn't the food there that was a positive for you wasn't it and then of course the dieting your mum dieting kids at school being on a diet you don't realize all these things really do rub off on on our younger brains don't they and I'm, I'm very conscious of making sure that when my stepdaughter's around, you know, eat what you want, when you want. If you're hungry, eat. If you're not hungry, don't eat. You know, it's very much you control what's on your plate. I'd rather she ate the same meal every day, even if it's as long as she eats, than yeah. say you have to eat that. And also going back to when you were a child, when you're saying that you, there wasn't snacks available, what kind of meals were you eating? Because I know that fast food and um 
the cheaper food is is like chips and frozen food and yeah like that, it, was. It? it was like Fresh food's more expensive I can remember my dad uh, my dad was the cook so he'd make a roast dinner on a Sunday and Monday you'd have leftover cold meat egg and chips or something like that yeah, yeah. so it really was not always healthy yeah which was and he cooked with lard wouldn't want to eat it but did you feel educated on what was good and bad carbs kind of thing at that point probably no not, not really no. I just knew chips were fattening so I didn't yeah. want chips <laughs> we lived on chips as well I wouldn't worry about it we definitely lived on chips so things got so bad for you so clearly you were losing weight you weren't eating and you also began to, to self-harm didn't you but I I used to exercise um ridiculously every night I'd be doing sit-ups in my bedroom before I went to bed I'd all pictures of exercises around my bed it was obsessive but I hid it really well from my mum and because I'd been naturally slim they didn't really notice would you wear baggy clothes and things to disguise the weight loss yeah yeah and I left home at 17 and thankfully I got hold of it at that point and yeah you know I started putting weight on and I didn't have to go to hospital Thankfully, I sorted it out, but then it came back a few years later when I was in a really bad relationship where every part of my life was controlled from what I wore to how I wore my hair to my makeup, even down to my underwear was like I was told what to wear every single day, how to behave. So obviously the only thing I could control to me was food again. Um, At that point... um, I, I don't I, I've my my first husband groomed me um and he moved after three years of grooming he moved me in and I was with him till I was 30 till I escaped um it was a very abusive relationship emotionally physically um sexually mentally he was a narcissist and a sociopath I realize now I didn't know then and he trafficked me so the only thing I could control was my food so at that time, obviously your your mental state was very delicate anyway, having suffered with anorexia. 17 is really young to leave home really anyway, isn't it? It's not like you're going to university and you're being with other people around you. You were on your own. Of course, vulnerable anyway. They target vulnerable people. They seem to spot vulnerable people a mile off. So what was your life like? at that time then with your first husband did they stop you seeing your family and your yeah I was complete I mean I was isolated I didn't see my parents for six months and then he allowed me but it was very much it was controlled what I was allowed to say what I wasn't allowed to say I wasn't allowed to discuss my feelings or my problems it was private they were for us to discuss he literally brainwashed me my mum did call him Svengali yeah I think she kind of had an inkling that something was wrong but I was like I know what I'm doing I know what I'm doing I'm a grown-up and how did you get out of that relationship it took well I was 30 before I escaped and I got to the point where I thought I'd actually rather be dead and he told me I'd only leave him dead in a box and I literally thought I'd rather be dead so I'm just gonna tell him I want to leave it was the scariest thing I've done in my life I can imagine Um, and he said right okay and he he asked me to sit on his on his lap when I told him I felt physically sick when I told him and then he just picked me up put me down and left and I thought oh my god he's gone to get a gun that's it I'm dead (gasps) literally stood there frozen and then he said right phone your mum she probably knows you're going to do this anyway which she didn't um 
I'm going out, start packing your bags. He, he came from controlled how I left. Yeah. And he, he wouldn't let me take anything personal, took my jewellery off me. I left with nothing, just my clothes in bin bags. And your life, though, at least. And my life. life but, and you were free. And he dumped me in Chester. <laughs> oh, my goodness. But rather that than keep on living in that kind of relationship. Yeah. So I briefly um, was asking you before about the self-harm as well, um, Tina. Did that happen while you were with your first husband? Yeah. I mean, I never, like, cut myself or anything. I just used to look at myself in the mirror with disgust. I mean, I was tiny and all I could see was fat. So I developed body dysmorphia. Is that right? Yeah, I used to like grab at all this part of my body and my belly and my thighs. And then on a good day, I'd look and think, God, I'm covered in bruises. What have I done to myself? So you were really struggling hard, weren't you? Your skin. Yeah, I asked, I went for help. At the time I was doing a, a short college course and I, I asked a college tutor, I said, can I have some, I think I'm going mad. And look what I've done to myself, I'm black and blue. And she got me some counselling, which helped with the anorexia. Brilliant. Oh, Tina, we're just going to take a short break now to give a shout out to my fabulous sponsor. And we'll be back in a few minutes time. Let me introduce our sponsor, Everything Genetic Limited, specialists in preventative healthcare testing, helping people to identify to see if they are at risk of developing common hereditary cancers and heart conditions. Based in Nantwich, Cheshire, they partner with some of the UK's market-leading laboratories, supplying revolutionary genetic tests to healthcare providers and patients for the detection, diagnosis and treatment planning of cancer, heart disease and other illnesses. One of their main aims is to democratise genetic testing, meaning everyone can take control of their own well-being and healthcare to detect any problems at an early stage when they are most treatable. They also offer a COVID testing service which is on the government list, initially launched to support clinical partners who were unable to get patients in during the pandemic. This service enables patients to come back into clinics to resume all important cancer testing and is available through over 200 partner companies. They offer a comprehensive range of coronavirus COVID-19 test kits and services for individuals, healthcare providers and employers. For more information, visit their website, everythinggeneticlimited.co.uk. So welcome back to the show. We're talking to model mindset mentor, Tina Lynn. So Tina, before the break, we were talking about anorexia, your abusive relationships, and also about self-harm as well. But you've also suffered with body dysmorphia as well, haven't you? What is that for our listeners? Body dysmorphia is where you don't see what others see. So you could be a size eight, but you're in your mind, when you look in the mirror, you see a 12 or a 14 or a 16. It often happens with people who've lost a lot of weight, who get slim, but just can't see it. It's like your eyes are playing tricks on yourself. Your eyes take it in, but your brain throws something back out. Um, So you see mounds of flesh and fat and there's nothing there, your skin and bone. And you just, people are like, look at yourself in the mirror, you're tiny, you're like, I'm not you can't see it you can't see yeah. it well, it's, it's a really very weird else, thing how your brain distorts what your eyes are telling you yeah I remember a program was it with um what's his name Go- oh Gokwan Gokwan sorry Gokwan and quite a lot of women in fact the majority of women if you think of the early programs he did 
they must have suffered very similar because they would he would have a lineup of women if you remember and he would ask yeah. them to go and place themselves where they thought they fit in and they were always two or three dress sizes bigger than what they thought they were and they yeah. couldn't believe it so it's the same sort of thing isn't it what kind of help is out there for people that suffer with anorexia and what you know what is the what is the healing process it depends on how serious it is um you know if some people are at that level where they're going to die if they don't get help and they can be forced into hospital right then they're fed through a tube yeah literally that doesn't help their mental state but that keeps them alive yeah it is a matter of going for counseling as far as i'm concerned there are um eating disorders association there's help you can go to your gp you can go online you can go privately but the biggest crux of it is finding out what is your cause and fixing that until you realize what caused it and for me it was all about control yeah and a lot of the time it is about control is finding why you feel that way and fixing that problem and once you fix that problem you can then work on the rest I mean you're always going to have issues like every woman we all look yeah, at the mirror and go oh yeah. god I've got That'll fat be your, your, your weakness won't it as such? it's going to be the weakness yeah but it's about for me now I I I haven't had an, a, a little stumble for many years yeah. and I kind of know. So how I have fixed it now is, for example, if occasionally a few years ago, I remember going out for dinner eating a big meal and I just suddenly felt this self-loathing and I want to go and purge. That means go to the toilet and vomit. Mm. So that's like a bulimia, isn't it? Yeah. And I wanted to get rid of what I put in my body because it felt disgusting. So I told my partner, I want to do this. And he was like, you don't need to. I was like, yeah, just keep talking to me. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's so, good though, isn't it? Because you're recognising that. So my next question was going to be that, how is your relationship with food now? You've answered it to a certain extent. I love food. Yeah. <laughs> because, aren't you married to a chef as well? I'm engaged to a chef and he feeds me really, really well. But he is very conscious and he'll... Of, He'll say, oh, I'll, I'll, I'll air fry these chips for you. And yeah. I've got loads of veggies. And he'll always try and he won't make hugely fattening foods that make me go. Oh. Yeah. Because <laughs> obviously being a model, full. I have to keep my figure too. Well, exactly. Of course. <laughs> and we all feel full after a big meal. It doesn't last for too long, does it? No. We all love that. No, I, I do. I have a really good relationship with food now. I don't think of food as bad and good. It's just food. Yeah. And I eat whatever I want in moderation. I just... I look at it as health now, not a diet. I never diet. I just eat healthier. Yeah, brilliant. So you're a mindset mentor. You're a model mindset mentor. So tell us about your work. I decided that I wanted to help women like I used to be. So I worked in corporate for 15 years in finance. And it's just, it was, I was, I was successful, but it just never got me here. I just I felt I needed to do something more. And about a year ago, I did a um, session with someone who was all about finding your purpose. And I just had a light bulb moment. I was like, I know what I need to do. I need to help women like me, like who I used to be. I want to help those women who have no confidence, have lost their self-esteem, who've lost their self-worth, who don't feel they're good enough. All those feelings I used to suffer get to like me walking on a catwalk and not saying they have to go and walk on a catwalk, but you know, <laughs> have that amazing that they can achieve anything and they can fulfill their potential and get to their dreams too. 
Yeah. And what makes you stand out from other coaches? I haven't learned it from a book. I haven't gone and studied at college. I've, I've learned what I've learned through personal lived experience. I've turned my life around by teaching myself to get rid of my self-limiting beliefs. So I finally believe in me and I now value me. So that's what makes me different. And that's what I want to help others with. Definitely. And do you find that you get many clients that have been through a similar experience to you, maybe with a controlling partner or husband, anorexia, bulimia, those sorts of clients? Whenever I post something about my story and about narcissistic, um, toxic relationships, the amount of response I get is untrue. So many women say, oh my God, that was my first boyfriend. Oh my God, that was my last boyfriend. I did a model shoot on Sunday and every single one of those models said, I've had a boyfriend like that. It's horrendous. Yeah. So it's it's more prolific than I think we realise. So there's, yeah, there's definitely a lot of women out there that, that need that kind of help to find themselves again. And how long does it take, do you think, for them to turn a corner and start believing in themselves? How long would, not treatment, but therapy, the, the, the mentor side of it, how long would it take? It depends on how much work you put in and how much you want it. It is all about, I can hack and lead you, but it's, do you want to take the steps? Do you yeah, want to do the work? work there to be done? Yeah, there? it can. You know, as I say, you can take a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. So it doesn't matter. You tell someone to say positive affirmations, to look in the mirror, to find one thing they like about themselves and concentrate on that. And then once suddenly they go, do you know what? I do like my eyes. And then, well, you know what? I really like my hair. Just And just totally constantly build, 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 and build. So it depends how quickly they start to believe in themselves. So my plan um, is to launch a six-week course as the first steps. And then it's a case of going away and doing that inner work. And then they can always come back again and work on another aspect of your problems or issues that you have about your self-worth. And the affirmations, they really do work. If you repeat and repeat, you they do work. I really do believe that, you know, that they're, they're brilliant. They are, they are. Because when you say an affirmation, it's it's like reprogramming your brain. Yeah. So your brain will always do the quickest, shortest, easiest method. And if that's not the words it's always heard, it's going to just go that way automatically. But if you reprogram it and say often enough, I'm beautiful, I'm worthy, I'm good enough, all those kind of words, you'll start to believe it because your brain will reprogram to that pattern. Definitely. It's amazing what the brain can do. Yeah. So you also do pole dancing as well. I can't believe it. Tell us all about your pole dancing. So I actually haven't pole danced now for two years. So I, I do need to get back to it because um, in August 2019, I had a really bad fall. I was upside down on the pole, holding on with just my arms, with my legs akimbo. And I just had a complete, my brain went blank. I thought, I don't know what to do next. And I literally let go. <laughs> and they're quite high. You're quite high <laughs> up, aren't you? Yeah. Thankfully, I didn't break anything, but I had a really bad shoulder for a good six months that I couldn't go back. And then lockdown happened. So I need to get back because um, it was an incredible way of fitness. And it's also massively confidence boosting. Yeah, it's really good you know, for your core, isn't it? It's great for your core. And girls and women of all ages and all sizes can do it. And we used to do a charity um, show every year for the students and watching people who are really shy 
push themselves and get on stage in front of a friendly audience, raising money for charity, and then come off and go, oh my God, I did it. I just love what I just did. Having been terrified beforehand is absolutely wonderful, wonderful. I'm going to have to look for local pole dancing classes, aren't I? Do you have one at home? I did, um, but I took it down because my little boy Logan, my chihuahua, was a little sod and kept peeing on it. That's not good, is it? That's not good. That will make you slip. <laughs> yeah, he rusted it. Uh, I mean, they're quite secure, though, if you have them at home. Yeah, you can. It's um, the brand I had was an X pole and it, it works by torsion. So you twist it in opposite ways and it pushes against the ceiling and the floor. Really, really safe. Yeah. My, my fiance could even get on it and he's about 98 kilos. So, yeah, it's very safe. Yeah. Oh, I'll have to have a look at that then. <laughs> and you've also you've also got a house full of dogs. Tell us all about your dogs. I can't hear yeah. them though. I've not heard one today. Oh no, I'm, I'm upstairs in my office and they're downstairs in the kitchen because every now and then they do a little sing-along all together, which is, you can't hear anything for them there. Never harmony. So I've got four hours. Logan, who is an Afanwawa. He is um, half Afan Pincher, half Chihuahua, but looks like a Chihuahua, like a scruffy Chihuahua. Then there's um, Rogue, who is chocolate brown Chihuahua with a little white stripe. You might be getting a theme here. Yeah. Storm is chocolate and she's a storm (laughs) in a teacup. And Mystique, who was born lilac, but has gone kind of a different colour now. And she is a happy accident between Logan and Storm. So didn't you say that one recently passed as well? You said five had, dogs, didn't um, you? About a year ago, I had a miniature schnauzer as well called Cassie, who was Aww. 16, bless her. Oh, well, Tina, it's been fabulous talking to you today and hearing all about your, your, your British Isles title, you know, helping others with anorexia and your mindset mentor. For anyone that's listening that wants to, maybe has any questions about anything or needs help and would like to talk to you, how can they get in touch? So you can find me on Facebook under Tina Lynn. You can find me on Instagram under Tina Lynn. And you can find me on LinkedIn under Tina Lynn. I'm very easy to find. My um, company's called Pathway to Potential. So I've got a Facebook group called Pathway to Potential. Um, But on all across social media, you'll recognise me. It's just Tina Lynn. Just keep it simple and easy so you can find me. And Tina is T-E-A-N-A, not T-E-A-N-A. It is. It's Gaelic wonderful i wish you all the best with your mentoring and i'm sure our paths will cross again in the future i look forward to it thank you for having me on you've been listening to the wellness hub part of the appetite for life series by karen kelly sponsored by everything genetic limited if you'd like to be a guest on this show or interested in any sponsorship packages you can send me an email let's talk at karen kelly podcast.co.uk or visit my website www.karenkellypodcasts.co.uk